Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon by David de Rothschild, the adventurer, conservationist and member of the Breitling Explorer squad. David, who looks a bit like a more handsome Jesus, is a kind of dream older brother and I've got four pretty good ones already so that's saying something. He's got a ripping yarn for any situation, often with the battle scars to match like the time he danced for an Ecuadorian chieftain at gunpoint to Kajagugu, or the time he sailed a catamaran made of plastic bottles around the world. In a thoroughly enjoyable episode, David tells us why GDP is the worst metric possible for success, why advertisers should pay a dividend to nature, and why fear actually can be a very good thing. I should also say that David is a huge supporter of Ocean Conservancy, with whom Breitling recently launched the new Super Ocean Heritage 2 Ocean Conservancy Limited Edition timepiece. A beautiful watch with a thoroughly good cause attached. But before we start this episode, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Clubhouse, a new kind of private members club brought to you by Gentleman's Journal. Clubhouse members get four issues of Gentleman's Journal magazine delivered straight to their door across the year, full of all those invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurship, style and culture that you'd hope for. As well as, of course, some exclusive deals with a range of partner brands, restaurants and hotels, not to mention invitations to some very exciting events across the year. In fact, if you're a podcast listener, which you obviously are, you now get 20% off your annual Clubhouse membership meaning you get the full Gentleman's Journal experience in full colour for just £56 a year, which sounds a bit like a bargain to me. To get that, just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. Enjoy the episode. David, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thank you. You're the first explorer I think we've ever had. But you don't like being called an explorer, do you? You don't like that word. <laughs> so I've started on the wrong foot already. Well, you call me a gentleman. That's very polite. There we go, yeah. Or does it mean I'm automatically a gentleman by being on this podcast? Uh, like, it's do- not a prerequisite. We've had some rogues on this you as have. well. Okay. I'm not going to say who were. Um, but no, you, you seem like a gentleman. You seem a thoroughly well-mannered, lovely man. That's the facade. Well, hopefully we'll find out what's Underne- behind it. Underneath it all, ooh, no. Uh, you know, I think just be nice. That's, yeah. the, that's the key to life. Quite right. Be nice to others. Treat others how you want to be treated. So I guess that translates into being a gentleman, Yeah, I guess. I hope um, so. I'm still working it out. But I'm you, still working it out. You don't well. like being called an explorer, though, do you? Um, or you think there's a better way I, to put it? I think there's a... I still haven't quite figured it out. I think if, you know, people say you're an adventurer, and mm. it sounds like, you know, you love sort of... Gore-Tex and crinkly bright coloured uniforms for the wilderness. Side note on that one. Do you not find it funny that we go into, you know, this beautiful palette of nature yeah. and we always have to wear like neon and turquoise and like what, is that bright a, red. Safety I know, or not? Y- you could say it's safety if you're doing something like um, climbing a mountain that you really need to see me on. But if you're going for a walk in High Park, yeah. you know, you probably only need saving from yourself. And so wearing something... <laughs> Bright turquoise and neon yeah. orange, which, by the way, I love bright colours. I'm not, not, not dissing bright colours, but I also think that it is funny. It's kind of like the, the not only is it the brightest colour possible, but mm. if you go camping and you're trying to wake up in the middle of the night and go for a pee, yeah, you cannot do it silently because it's just like yeah, everything yeah, yeah, is crinkling, yeah. and every time you walk, it's a crinkle and a, and a, and a wrinkle. Um, anyway, back to explore. <laughs> so if you're an adventurer, you kind of feel like you might be a bit of a Gore-Tex okay. fanatic, um, which is not a great material sustainably, side note on that one. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, I think about exploring. Um, when we say explorer, I think a lot of people think about, you know, Serrano Fines and, mm. And, and all these sort of, you know, stoic characters who did incredible feats. And there were a lot of incredible explorers um, who came before me. And there will be a lot of ex- incredible explorers who will come after me, I hope. Um, and I feel like you have to earn that, for one. And I think you also, um, you know, there's a certain perception mm. of, of sort of tough and rough. And, and, and for me, it's more about exploring our understanding than it is exploring physical endurance. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm capable and enjoy and love the idea of pushing your physical limits but I'm more interested in pushing our limits of curiosity and exploring the natural world and so I haven't quite figured out 
you know, I can't technically call myself a sort of, you know, I suppose I should go get a degree in botany or something okay. and then I can be called an, a, a botanist. But I'm sort of, to explore nature yeah. is kind of the sort of thing that I'm doing and exploring the relationship specifically between humans and nature. That's the bit Fine. that I really find interesting and how to translate those stories and how to shut the gap. Because I think as the gap has got wider, we as individuals, the misunderstanding that comes with that gap between our relationship and yeah. nature, this false dichotomy that there's nature on one side and we're on the other, that gap, the output of that gap is pollution, is human fingerprints, is mm. the degradation of nature. So if we can shut that gap and bring people, um, myself included, closer to the narrative of nature and reintegrating into the web of life and, and seeing how important orange. it is and not wearing bright orange Absolutely. in the process, um, you you can hopefully start a conversation about how to live more harmoniously with nature and and and, and ultimately give ourselves a chance of living on spaceship yeah. earth a, a bit longer so you're an ecologist if people see you at your home in venice beach they say what do you do do you say i'm just a i'm just a man man i'm a man man <laughs> um um i yeah I, ecologist is a good word i used to i had a it's a funny word as well, though, because yeah. co- what, what does that, you know, ecology? And it has to kind of, I don't um, know, eco-warrior overtones. Yeah. People might be a little bit, maybe not in Venice Beach. I don't, I don't know if I have enough dandruff <laughs> to be an ecologist. Okay. Sorry to all ecologists, that's a really bad uh, stereotype there. But um, <laughs> they are the, uh, one of the engine rooms of understanding our planet. Yeah. Um, I would say that I'm more sitting in the field of um, curious citizen. Okay. Uh, than I am uh, anything else and exploring as I say um, you know I've trained as a naturopath so my sort of entry part to kind of the natural world is really through plant medicine um, mm. and understanding the power and the wisdom that's retained in plants and how um, you know you can find everything you need to heal your body um, in nature and so that understanding of the relationship of what you can do to influence a more um, a healthier lifestyle so that's kind of through nature that's been my kind of entry point yeah. and then you quickly realize obviously you are what you eat and you are what you breathe and when you look at what we're eating and you look at what we're breathing um, you know it's very hard to look at what you're breathing I guess right. but if you, if you think about breath um, you know you think about our planet our planet is one big breath yeah. big in breath and a big out breath that's what our planet does what do you mean what's the in breath so what we do is nature sucks in all that okay. CO2 and blows out all of that oxygen yeah so oh, wow. God, you're right, summer months are the all about us. breath so yeah. we're in the middle of a an out breath and then obviously all the the leaves fall off and then we go into winter and that's mm. the end of the out breath and then as spring starts we start to breathe in again so all our breath comes from the ocean all our every second breath comes mm. from the ocean and the other breath comes from all those plants so it's fundamental to you know, how we live. Without breath, we have nothing. And the air that we need to breathe is the very thing that we're poisoning, yeah. right? Through you know, our outputs of our services and our experiences and, and the way that we basically burn um, toxic, dirty air. And I was saying this, I had a, an event um, recently with Ben Vogel, mm-hmm. who um, was recently on Everest. And I was just sort of making the point to him that he and to the audience that they were, you know, you're walking up to our breathable limit. Yeah. That's kind of a sort of amazing to think about. Well, then it's so low. It's low. Our breath- exactly. Uh, you know, at twenty seven and a half thousand feet, you're in the death zone, <laughs> yeah. you know, and above, you know, that is our breathable air. So it's not much. So it's not a lot. We can walk there. When you're looking at a plane in the sky next time, think about that. It's ten thousand feet above our breathable yeah. air. Right, and so we are taking that breath that we need. We're taking our breath factories, the ocean, and our forests, and we're destroying them. And then on top of that, we're going, "Hey, I got a good idea. Let's burn a bunch of really toxic, carcinogenic, yeah. dirty fuel, and throw it into that breathable air just to see what happens." Well, I'll tell you well, what happens. Yeah, happens. Yeah. 4.1 million people every year are now dying because of pollution. Right, I mean that's a crazy statistic, but four million people every year pollution-related deaths from the World Health Organization. Wow, you know, recently put that out. Um, they had their first ever conference on that uh, on pollution at the end of last year in November, and some of the stats are frightening. 
And so we do that on one side. And on the other side, um, we're shuffling away from nature. You know, yeah. we're moving away from our, I guess, our relationship um, to it. And one of those things is the food piece. So if we are what we breathe and we are what we eat, our relationship to where our food comes from and how it's processed. And so when you look at the sort of modernity as one of the big markers in modernity was the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago when we could cultivate soil and manipulate mm. the soil to grow. And then we, that formalized, you know, really structures of permanence. So we weren't nomadic anymore. We started to hover around where we could grow and trade and, and that became cities. And those cities then became sign of modernity again was to not know where your food came from. Et voila, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, coming around again you know for for the lucky few, few where we're lucky enough to say oh we, this is a chicken that has a name and we know when it was killed and it's become a novelty again that we would have been really connected to that but we used to eat seasonally we don't eat seasonally we can get berries all year round we can, so there's a, there's a footprint of having all those things yeah. all year round on the planet again and there's a footprint of our on our well-being that comes from that because again we're burning those fuels in the air to get our food all year round and then we're eating those foods all year round. Um, a lot of those foods are processed and, and are grown aggressively for profit versus sustenance. And so, again, you get into this... Um, so it's a vicious cycle in cycle. several ways. Is, are we completely beyond it? Are we, have we got no, a chance? No, we, we definitely have a chance. I know, I've, I really, I'm starting to sound like a really negative... <laughs> that um, was a scary three minutes, you just, the, the picture you it, painted. It was pretty scary. I'm but gonna, maybe we need I'm, a I'm gonna have a sip of my green have tea. Have a sip of green tea. But mm. we, so did you because it's you environmental were, tea, green tea. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the most positive the thing to come out drink. of the green. Yeah, I the only thing I can drink green tea. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have this kind of realization because you were in nature as an adventurer, as an explorer? Did you have a damaging moment on a ice float or something? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think my sort of just state of comfort, and I, I, I think it's actually probably a fair thing to say if you look at, if you were to shut your eyes right now and go to a place where you feel zen, right. comfortable, or... Imagine. Or imagine, yes. if you were just shutting your eyes and you go, where is a place that comes to mind? Do you like how I shut my eyes? Yeah. You didn't shut your eyes. When, oh, I, oh, well, it, I don't know if you shut your eyes, because no, my did, eyes were shut. Did you shut I, your eyes? I could lie and say I did, but I didn't shut my eyes. Okay. Should you, we'll do it together. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is great listening so, as well, by the so, way. So if you're at home, <laughs> or wherever you are, my eyes are shut, so okay. I hope yours are. So just sit for one second mm -hmm. and go somewhere in your mind that actually makes you feel calm and relaxed. Okay. Where was it? Instantly you said that it was my parents' garden. Okay. Which is a, it's a garden in Oxford. It's not a big garden, yeah, but, it's but it's very it's, well, beautifully kind of yeah. overgrown and slightly wild. I, was I don't know a, why that came up. They'll be thrilled to hear that. I was they on a mountain. Listen. I was yeah. on a mountain. Were you? Yeah. I was in a forest. Which mountain? I don't know. It just, I a thought I saw. Um, was, okay, was that's the difference between I'm very suburban domestic and you are yeah. a mountaineer. Well, what's interesting Much is, cooler. so there was a report came out, the University of Exeter was doing a report on the wellness of nature. And it came out yesterday that actually being in nature for a couple of hours every day is just as valuable to your well-being as the five a day or the amount of you know prescribed exercise of 30 yeah. minutes, whatever it is that we're meant to walk and be active on a daily basis to reduce our stresses. And what's really interesting about being nature is not just the wellness that you feel, the sense of purpose you feel. And I think what's interesting, when you said your garden, mm. that's the point that I think is really important to get across, which is that as explorers, people want us to go to the North Pole. Yeah. They want us to go to the furthest point from humanity in the middle of the ocean somewhere or to a cave that no one's explored before. And to me, nature is everywhere. So exploring is just as exciting in the city as it is, mm. you know, in that cave or on that mountain. And nature can be found everywhere. But we tend to, in the city, push nature into the background. It's an ornament in the corner. It's a hobby. It's something that's back there. We don't look at it as it's something. It's for an Instagram background. It's exactly. Yeah. It's for a moment that we can. And actually, you know, Getty did a, um, you know, they do a sort of a state of the images. You know, they do a kind of a trending thing. And 2018, 2019, the sort of the largest trend or the fastest growing trend was photographs of people doing things in nature, usually either as groups or individuals doing extreme things on a mountain, solo yeah. shot, standing with a vista, in a kayak on a you know cliff face. So 
what it wow. does is it gives us a sense of purpose. It makes us feel complete. It kind of gives us a feeling of um, something bigger than ourselves and, and be, but being part of something. And I think we lose that feeling when we shuffle into cities that are a sort of man-made sort of vesticle almost. Yeah. You know, you walk in and it's, it's a sort of a man-made vibration that vibrates at a very different level to a vibration of nature. And but some people, I suppose, if you're born, you grow up in the inner city, there isn't much nature around you. How can people like that get so, into it? So I think that's also, again, one of those things that, you know, being outside, finding nature isn't just, as I say, that massive wilderness. Look at London, it's full of parks, mm. right? Most cities have a lot of urban parks. We need to explore and find them, right? And that's where it becomes kind of fun. So, you know, you have stories of people, you, you, we're living on the Thames. You could go paddleboarding, yeah. you know? You could go out on there in a, in a little kite. You can just go down and fish if you wanted to <laughs> off the side. Um, you know, you, the gates are unlocked a lot of the time. You can, you know, I'm not advocating people jump in the river, but, you know, don't jump in the river, <laughs> please. Um, or do, but be safe. Um, get that crinkly orange jacket on yeah. and make sure someone sees you or you might get run over. Um, but there are ways in which we can access, I call nature. And, and I think you bring up a, a very good point, which is, and, and, I, and I think about this a lot, but it, you're right, it's a privilege, right? It's, it's expensive takes time a certain perception of skills and a certain things that are required to organizing a trip into yeah. nature nature right um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't spend more time trying to just at least spend a bit more time outside most of the time that we spend outside on a daily basis is probably going from our office or our school or our home to a vehicle or to a yeah. public transport and then into a building and then out again. So we're literally shuffling outside for the, for the purpose of moving between A and B, between yeah. going in between and out of buildings. Just sitting outside and getting a bit of sun on your face or a bit of rain, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually makes you feel a little bit more alive. I mean, even just going, you know, you ride a bike the whole time and you ride around the city and even doing that, just you feel, I know that we're gonna, you know, people out there are going, yeah, you're breathing loads of pollution, which is a true story, right? But. <laughs> But you're outside. It, you're outside and there's something invigorating and something that makes you feel alive and something that calms us and gives us, and it's not a phenomenon, you know, we always read these things, it's like kids who spend a bit more time in nature have way more attention, you know, and, and it's the same for us as adults. I mean, we live in an ADD world where we're hyped up on sugar, we're given loads of um, stimulants and actually just pressing pause, you know, going into nature kind of helps you press pause a little yeah. bit. Have you ever been somewhere where you're the only person in the world who's ever been there? And do you ever feel like you shouldn't be there? Um, do you ever feel like maybe I'm intruding in nature in, in some way? I don't know if I feel like I'm intruding. I think you... Are you aware of even every kind of footprint, like you're walking through the past? I mean, I've had, I've had moments where, you know, you always sort of get somewhere and you sort of, you know, you have that sort of fancy moment that, like, you know, you, you know if you use your imagination, like, wow, you know... And then I'm an early explorer. No one's been here. I'm in this place, and who, you know, and maybe in some places. I mean, you know, I. Has that happened? Well, I mean, you, you wouldn't know necessarily, would you? Yeah, you wouldn't know. I mean, I, um, I remember um, quite a funny story. I was, I was with, I was, I was heading up into the Annapurna Range to go and find mm. these guys who are called the Honey Hunters, and they, um, they basically go for days up into these cliffs, these incredible overhangs where um, this sort of. Himalayan bee, which is a slightly larger bee than your normal sort of average bee. Yeah. It's a pretty aggressive looking thing. It's a big bee. Create these incredible honeycombs that hang underneath. They basically pollinate from the rhododendrons and they create these huge colonies underneath the rock surface. And so they build these ropes and they come down off, you know, over the cliff edge and they'll smoke out the bees and they're hanging from, you know, thousands of feet. Wow. And they're poking these this honey to get this honey, and they're getting stung, and they're not wearing anything, and they're you know it's an incredible sight, um, and so you you know I was going with these guys on a honey hunt, and I can come back to that in a minute, but so we're we're trekking through these forests, these old growth forests, and they're beautiful forests, and you've got all these guys and they're carrying all their gear, and I was like, 
I'm going to go off this way a little bit. So I sort of walked off on my own sort of way and I was walking. And there was this moment where I, I did, I looked around and I was like, I sort of stopped just to sort of listen. And I realised that I'd wandered off enough that I couldn't actually hear anyone in my group right. anymore. I didn't know where I was in terms of my orientation. I mean, I knew rough direction because of where the sun was. And, but I remember having that moment of like, wow, this could be no one's ever stood here in this little moment. Then there's that moment of like, shit, I might be lost, you yeah. know? And then, and, then, and then there was this even funnier moment when I then looked down at my feet because I felt something crawling up my leg. And I realized I was wearing these old leather boots that I'd traveled with for ages, but I realized that, you know, in my moment of kind of this contemplation, my feet and my lower legs were now covered in leeches oh that were God. crawling up my legs and over me. So I was sort of flicking these things off sort of quite pathetically, not very explorer-like of me. Right. Um, luckily no one could hear my screams as I was sort of dancing around <coughs> in, the, in the forest, um, you know, thinking, wicked, I've just walked into a sort of a leech field. That's why um, no one had ever been that's there That's probably before. why no one had ever been yeah. there. Um, I managed to get myself back onto the trail um, and, and rejoin and they were sort of, you know, looking at me very suspectly, like, where have you been? Um, got in my tent that night and I found a huge leech like, oh, wow. on my lower back that I had to kind of remove oh, quite aggressively. Um, but these honey hunters were amazing. And, it, you know, it's a great example of a, a community that's lived, um, you know, pretty much in the same way as yeah. they've always lived. And there was this very interesting moment. So I was there and I was shooting a documentary and I was chatting with them and, and there was this moment when I was sort of because it really confused me this idea of hunting honey you know I was like we keep bees yeah. you know we why sort of tend them why do, why do you hunt how do you hunt an insect yeah. and then I realised that there was the same relationship with them as it would be for a Maasai who might be hunting or for um, an Inuit who's hunting whales you know it's a, it was it was a tradition it was you know it's a wild insect it attacks you because yeah. you're attacking it. There's danger involved. They can fall. They get stung. When you get stung by these things, it's crippling. So we went, you know, sort of realized there was something quite odd about this. And then, not odd, but just I hadn't put the two together of bees and hunting. It didn't really, you know, connect. But it was a hunt. You know, you're searching for this thing. And then there's this hive of activity, boom, boom, um, around the, the hunt. And you go to prayer. And we did prayers. And then they started to you know, um, set up their ropes, which were all made of reeds and, you know, bamboo. I mean, you know, you're dropping these massive ropes off the top of this cliff. And they're going through this procedure and they get the honey and they break off this huge bit of the hive, basically kill the queen bee. And the queen bee obviously is what everyone is protecting. Wow. And so now you've obviously ruined this colony. And as all hunters and as all, you know, sort of relationships between humans and nature as we progress, the, the, the colonies are in collapse climate change and also they've been over hunted they've been over hunted because there's become a market for the honey the honey has um you know certain magical powers for certain cultures and people right. um it's slightly hallucinogenic it oh, has wow. um you know apparently gives you know good life and energy and all the things but it's a it's a very revered commodity mm. but what i noticed what's interesting is that when bees create a, a colony, they'll and they create a hive. Um, they or colony. They 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 always will create about one and a half times more than they need. So you could do it kind of sustainably, but because obviously it's incredibly dangerous and you're exposed and you're not wearing anything to protect yourself. They might just wear an old beekeeper's hat. That was it, but barefoot on these yeah. ropes and shorts, you know, and and they're really quickly having to, you know, kind of get the hive. They're sort of smashing the whole hive and leaving. So I had this conversation with one of the honey hunters after the, the hunt had finished, just before I started tripping, very aggressive I didn't. But, um, but I had this conversation um, with one of the hunters and I remember saying to him, why don't you wear gloves and things that would actually protect you? And he said, well, if I did that, then you probably wouldn't come and film me. Wow. You know, and I thought, yeah, okay, I'm now officially part of the problem. Yeah. Um, and There's I a think, whole economy and based on And it comes back content. to, yeah. And, and they've been featured in National Geographic and they've, you know, God. they've created a, a sort of 
So even um, while you're so you're so documenting the way of life, you're actually changing it. You're changing the way of life, you? and I think you mentioned that. So that was why I gave you that really yeah. shaggy. No, that was very very interesting. We touched on a lot of things, but I think it's an interesting thing. So when you are going into environments and you're observing, yeah, it's really important to recognize that that interaction will have a profound impact. And I, I mean, I, I'll give you one more funny story. Um, I remember being down in, um, in the border with Peru and Ecuador. As, um, there was a horrific environmental story around Chevron dumping oil systematically through the Amazon. Um, this case had gone on for a while, and this was back in 2006. And um, we'd gone down to see this community called the Atua, who were kind of known warriors and very tough. And we basically finally managed to get them after days of getting in down, down canoes mm. and got into this community and we started spending some time with them and at first they were all very kind of suspicious of us and you know it's like you know are you from the oil company if you are we'll kill you sort of thing you know holding these guns and doing this whole thing oh, God. and then finally after a few rounds of chicha which is a, a, a spit drink made from um, spit spit so cool. the women in the village chew on a leaf a yucca leaf and mm. and then they create a sort of you know, a lot of saliva. Okay. And they spit in a bowl and then they ferment it with river water and other bits and pieces. And it becomes a moonshine and it's sort of ceremonial moonshine. So cer- ceremonial spit drink, basically. Strong? It was strong enough that everyone started getting really, really quite drunk. Okay. Right? And so as everyone's getting really drunk and we're sitting around in this hut and it's kind of now dusk and it's a bit nerve-wracking. Some people got these old guns and, you know, and, 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 and one of them are putting them in their mouths and, you know, so it got a bit funky, you know. <laughs> and the chief of the village sort of ushered something and said, you know, this box was placed down in front of him. And we'd been sitting now for quite a few hours. And he opened up this box and he pulled out a sort of 1985 or 86, you know, kind of run DMC, massive ghetto blaster, you know, old school kind of, you know, put it on your shoulder, boom box. And he pulled out a copy, I swear my life, it was like, now that's what I call music, volume like oh one. Oh my God. And it was of Wham and Kajagoogoo. It's and probably worth something. <laughs> exactly. And what was amazing was, he put on this music, and he asked me to show him how to dance to this music. <laughs> so right? Kajagoogoo? Yeah. What's the Kajagoogoo? It's Too Shy, is that yeah. the song? Too Shy, Shy. I'm not going to sing, but you know what well, I mean? You so did. I did. It was good. It was great. <laughs> and do, um, um, how would you dance to that? You could show us as well. You know what I mean? I'm just like... That's uh, crazy. I'm, 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 what's, there's a technical phrase called a, a baller. Someone has no rhythm, but is actually really enjoying themselves. Okay. Right? I, I think it's... Or no, a bolter. A bolter. A bolter. Yeah, a, a bolter. baller maybe something different. Baller's something different. Sorry. A bolter. <laughs> it's a, it's a, an actual phrase. It's like in some urban ditch. Someone said okay. to me once, because they obviously saw me and went, yeah, you've got no rhythm. So I sort of decided I would do the most kind of, you know, the rope of dope and like feeding the chickens. Okay, really I did like really the big rig and all these sort yeah. of like, you know, I really went for like the most cheesy dance move ever. And you were the only one dancing around this. I was dancing to the box. Chiefs around the boombox. And everyone else is kind of watching. And watching and kind of making notes. And Could have gone either way that one. And I did think to myself, <laughs> here is a great example of some anthropologists are going to come down to the actual in 10 years time when they're doing like the big rig and the yeah. rope of dope and whatever they're doing <laughs> yeah. and be like, what happened? How did this? How, 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 did, earth, how on earth did this beautiful culture this? take a massive left turn to no rhythm? Like, what actually happened at this yeah, moment? They it, were beautiful dancers. So that's another way of affecting people yeah. when they come down with really bad dance okay. moves. But it was interesting because it, 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 what really got me fascinated was that what the oil companies do would fly low over the forest and they'd throw these boxes out. And in the boxes, they'd have pamphlets and mm. food and rations and medicine and music and, and kind of trying to kind of... Westernize and trying to kind the of idea that they'd bring them into a city and they bring them into a certain kind away. of they would be grateful for the gifts. But imagine this boombox arrives and this tape arrives and you you don't know how to dance to that sound. So they have their yeah their rhythm and their sounds and their dance and their traditional That's dance. Which did it off. But it was quite an interesting concept. But they had batteries as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's batteries. And I wonder what they think those. Do they speak English? Uh, no, no, no. So what do they think those lyrics and sounds mean? They might think they're the most profound thing in the well, world, but, but it's actually Wham! Yeah. Last Christmas, which is profound. Yeah, yeah it's very profound. <laughs> but um, you could have you could have died had you been a bad... Had you done some kind of wrong symbol in your dance routine? They probably should, you, have, they probably should have killed me for my bad dancing. Okay. I mean, well, they, they, to be honest, they let me off on that one. <laughs> they probably should have looked at me and gone, nah. nah. But the best nice was actually, try. if I'm honest, he, the chief of the village just kept on uttering these, mo- these words, which were basically strong move. Really? Strong move. Strong, Strong move. move. Yeah. Just that, well, well, maybe that was in my head. Okay. <laughs> but that was maybe too that much was, teacher. Maybe too much teacher. Cool.
Do you ever get scared? I mean, that situation is quite hairy. There's guns and there's there's misunderstandings that could happen. Have you ever feared for your life? I don't think I've ever th- felt overly threatened. Um, I've, been, I've been in situations... That was an interesting... It was a very tense trip because of the place that we were going. We actually went into... There's another town in that area called Lago Agrio, which is really an oil town. And, and really, because of the oil drilling in the Amazon, these little towns popped up. It was on the border of Colombia. And the currency there is kidnapping, prostitution, and drugs. So there's bars and drugs and prostitution. That's basically what goes on. And it's, in a, it's a jungle town. And you know you probably have about 35 minutes to get in, document it, and leave before you're probably kidnapped for ransom. So because they know you're Western. Because you're Western, and that's that's the business. You're in the business of kidnapping. So they were Do you kidnapped. go with local guides? And- yeah, and that one we went with local guides, um, and they were really nervous. They were like, we need to come in, you need to document it. What, when you say document, you're just taking photos? And- Photographs, yeah. So God, that was, that's terrifying. And then leave. Um, and we were, we were with um, two amazing photographers. Uh, we were with an artist called Gabriel Orozco, mm. um, who's an incredible Mexican artist. Um, and then there was... Um, Adam Brunberg and Oliver Channerin, uh, who are two incredible sort of art photographers who documented it and they've got some beautiful photos of this kind of this very odd juxtaposition between these sort of structures that were kind of obviously dilapidated and and this the, the beautiful Amazon and this mm. you know, sort of the the kind of tension between humans and nature was really quite evident in, in that and the tension between humans and humans. Um, and then there was a, a, another young filmmaker and it was I think there's moments like that where you know that you're sort of in an environment where it's... It's it, out of your hands, really. It's out of your hands, and it can be tense, and it can be, you know, you can get intimidated by environments that you travel in. But what you realise is, again, is that a lot of the narratives that we see with the world is through the lens of fear. So when we read about, you know, the Middle East, it's always about, you know, some some terrorist activity or it's always about kidnappings or, you know, or someone, some tension here in war. And you read about parts of the world, it's like, you know, disease or it's, you know, it's dangerous. I mean, the world is painted as a super dangerous place. Yeah. And of course, it there's dangers everywhere. There's dangers in London. I mean, London now, you're more likely to get stabbed in London than you probably are in the Amazon for sure, right? I mean, that's statistically true. Um, but there is a... There's a common thread to all of us as humans. We all want the same things, no matter where you go, no matter where you are. The majority of us want compassion. We want to be recognized. We want community. We want security. We want access to food. We want access to shelter. We want access to water. We, we want to be valued, and we want to be recognized. And I think that is a very kind of primal thing. We want to belong to something. And... And that's the same everywhere. And no matter where you go, nine times out of ten, we're all prescribing the same values. And mm. some of the most incredible people that I've ever had interaction with are the people in places that have the least and have the... They'll give you everything. Yeah. You know? And I think if you're just aware and smart and, you know... Like, I remember doing a project in Manila and it was like, don't go out at night in Manila. You'll just... No. You will get mugged. You Something will happen to you. So you... You know of the, 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 the sort of the, wherever you are, there's always going to be dangers lurking, especially in city environments. But you know, you just have to be aware, and and you have to also, you know, trust your gut, trust your instinct, and don't walk around, you yeah, know, flashing stuff. Don't, don't be an idiot. Your home is in LA most of the time, isn't it? Yeah, when you come back base. to there, or it's you go, or you come to London, or yeah. we're sitting in Mark's Club, one of the nicest, most comfortable clubs in the world. Do you? Is it odd to come back to that? And, and do, do things in everyday life make you nervous, like public speaking, like you did at the event with Ben? I wonder if, you're, if you have mundane nerves as well, mundane fears. Yeah, I think you always get... Um, I, you know, I did a talk the other day in Australia. Um, you know, 300 people, you're the keynote speaker. Yeah. And someone backstage asked me, said, you know, do you get nervous? I'm like, of course I'm nervous. It would be not natural yeah. not to get nervous. Be psychopathic. Right? Yeah, and also... I think it's really quite interesting. I was saying this actually enough, last night to somebody about, you know, the emotions that come with... Um, we, we've taken... With, with sort of modernity, right? We've taken fear and we've, made, we've turned fear into sort of a bad thing, right? And actually, when you think about it from an animalistic standpoint, um, 
it's a heightening of your senses. So being nervous and being fearful of speaking, if you contextualize it as that, having that fear, is actually your body preparing itself and actually getting more back into your natural state. So when the lights go off at night in your house and you're walking upstairs and your your hearing's a bit more acute and you're looking around and your senses, that's you actually getting more in touch with being who you are, which is an animal. That, to me, is a reminder, you know, and I think it's something that in the wilderness is a survival mechanism. It gives you, you know, more awareness. It gives you the ability to think and look and see, actually, is something going to eat me? Is something going to attack me? Um, hopefully nothing eats you in your house. Um, if it does, you live in a, probably a very fascinating house. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it is, I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, riding a, bi- riding a bike in London is probably one of the scariest things you That's can true. do. You know, even with all these great bike lanes, you know, the amount of times I've seen people knocked off bikes. Yeah, and, it's not good. You know, so, uh, you know, I... Uh, so do you try and do something every day that scares you, that kind of maxim? <laughs> Um, yeah, just uh, living inside of my brain. Yeah, okay. that just, it seems to scare me quite a lot. Um, no, I, I think that, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that ultimately um, being, being a f- sort of being, ending up where I've ended up in this position, I have to pinch myself every day and go, I feel really blessed that not only do I get to do incredible things, but I get to learn from incredible people around the world who are doing extraordinary things to protect our ability to live on this planet and to learn from them and to see these environments and to engage with people who are um, living you know, in very diverse ways. To be able to capture those moments and those stories, there's a huge responsibility to come back and try and tell those stories in a way that does them respect yeah. as the primary purpose, but also that is used for a positive to try and engage people to think differently about their role on this planet or with that community or learn about something. And so I never take that for granted. I mean, it's a huge opportunity. And so, but it, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of go, wow, I get a voice. Thank you for listening, you mm. know, and thank you for listening to my story and being able to tell these stories is, is, is such a gift because I think that is really one of the biggest things that um, we need more than ever is we need more stories that inspire us to be better humans to belong to the world in a different way one that's not just driven by commercialism and driven by greed and driven by fear in the wrong way and driven by all the things that drive us apart but actually driven by compassion and empathy driven by love driven by inclusion driven by equality um, driven by things that actually will help us to prosper, to be able to, you know, improve, you know, the way that we all live, not just, you know, I mean, and it's, yes, I'm sure there's people listening who are going, God, you're sitting in a fancy club wearing fancy clothes, eating fancy food. We are. Um, well, I'm not eating anything, I'm not drinking <laughs> green tea. Um, but, you know, we have to, if we, and I say this often, I mean, and looking at the table here, there's a bottle of still water, yeah. a bottle of sparkling. That sums it up. That's yeah, how lucky we are. Necessary. We no, but we get to choose. If you get to choose what kind of water you can drink, then you're really fortunate, and you've got an opportunity to do to dream about others, right? Yeah. There's a billion people don't have access to water, and we're like, oh, I don't know. I'll yeah. have a bit of both. And complain. Oh, actually, I yeah. don't like. Sparkling. I don't, and I don't even like that sparkling because that sparkling is too, too fizzy. Too fizzy. The bubbles are too big. I yeah. have the Italian bubbles or yeah. the. French bubbles that are a little saltier. They are good, those, actually, those French ones. Yeah, they are good, <laughs> good bubbles. But no, um, I, know, I take a so point. So what it's I mean is, I think it's, it's, it, we, we're living in a, in a time where the division between haves and have not is getting bigger. The, you know, there's, there's 898 million people living in slums within cider cities. You yeah. know, we're urbanizing. The, you know, cost of living's going up, cost of food's going up, pollution's going up. You know, we're getting, there's a lot more tension. And... And so if you're fortunate enough to be able to read your star sign and, and drink fizzy or flat water and to have, hey, you've got space, you've got, you can aspire yeah. to more than just survival, then I think you have a responsibility to try and figure out what you can do to contribute to trying to ease some of those divisions and try and create Definitely. a more unified way of living and a, a unified planet. Is it the responsibility of, and you can pick one here, or you can say all of them, actually no, pick one. Is it more politicians who should be sorting out the problems and this big divide is it big businesses like Amazon or Coca-Cola or is it individuals and can individuals do it 
That's two questions in one. It is. The first one. And I'm just going to... Who's I'm, in charge? Who's really got the power? Humans. We're all in charge, right? You're in charge of what But you, I don't feel like I've got the same power as... Amazon. Um, as Jeff Bezos to no. change the world. He could change all his packaging on Amazon tomorrow and, and it, it might cost him 3p more, but he's got less past plastic or something. I don't know if that's possible. So it's, a, it's, it's okay, so a question like that obviously is, is, um, is another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's something that is um, very complex. And I think we take very, very complex integrated s- sort of systems and we try and simplify them. Mm. Everything is interconnected. The politicians should be legislating for Jeff to change his packaging, right? Uh, and Amazon to be more sustainable. I, side note, if you are going to use nature in your advertising or imagery, i.e. your corneal company, Amazon, do you mm. not think you should be paying a royalty if you are Puma? Pay a royalty to big cats. If you're Cartier and you're going to use a mountain lion or a, wow. a leopard, why, when we're spending $597 billion a year on marketing... I think 40 billion goes into the automotive industry. At the automotive industry, 30% of their advertising, 35%, involves nature, involves nature directly. Winding country roads. Winding country roads, nature looking at this. So if you're going to use a, or it involves like a, an elephant in the back of a pickup truck, or a rhino driving Pay a dividend thing, to them. Pay a dividend to nature. Don't, a, do any of them do that? Does no, Amazon? No. I mean, you can't trademark the word Amazon, but they've no, but taken Amazon, the idea, yeah, haven't you they? Could, with the amount of money that Amazon's worth, you could buy the entire Amazon and save it from illegal logging. Do you ever speak to these people? You must come face to face with some business leaders sometimes. Yeah. Do you get in arguments with them? Um, I can't see you as an argument at the <laughs> I don't think it helps to tell people what to do. I think you have to try and create a different pathway or a narrative that allows somebody to see that there might be an alternative and that adaption has to start from within on yeah. an individual level, community level, business level, global level. But back to your question, I think we're living in a time where politicians are looking for short-term sound bites to get themselves elected. It's a, it's you know the moment that politics became a profession versus a vocation. It became something mm. that was, you know, seizing um, power, seizing power at any cost, at any cost, at short-term ism. And we're in a period of time where we're all attention deficit disordered. We all got loads of things, so we just listen to sound bites. And so when it comes to the environment, what you'll notice is that people will make amazing claims, but they'll push the date further and further out. So I say we're going to tackle climate change by 2030. I'll do everything possible. You're not going to be in power. No, it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter you to you. Elected. You get elected because that sounds later, right. You go on you know? the circuit. It's always about deregulation. It's always about actually stimulate the economy, stimulate the economy, stimulate the economy. So at the heart of that question you asked is the economy. Yeah. So if we don't start to really tackle what our perception of a successful economic system is. So right now we use GDP as a marker of success. Yes. And I would say... GDP, gross domestic product, i.e. how much is our output? And output includes things that are negative, right? So more prisons built, that GDP goes up. Is that good for society if we're putting incarcerating more people? Probably not. An oil spill, the BP oil spill. We produced more oil that year, presumably. Well, we what happened was up for it. we had to clean up. So that created more money into the, that GDP went up. Oh, and by the way, you get a tax break for cleaning up the environment. Just know that in mind. So BP got a tax break for doing that, as well as polluting, and the GDP goes up. So you pollute our rivers, you pollute our air, you offset the cost. 80% of all carbon that's emitted into our atmosphere is not paid for by anybody. So we're offsetting all these costs. So at the heart of it, what we've done is we've created a system that says, if you don't grow and grow and grow and grow exponentially, mm. quarter on quarter on quarter, then you're not successful, you're not valuable to society. As a consumer, if you don't spend your money, then you're not valuable to society. We're only as valuable as our wallets, we're told, spend, buy, 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 buy. If we don't spend, the economy slows down. If the economy slows down, what does the government do? The government goes, we'll deregulate, we'll open up more so that you guys who are probably polluting more can stimulate more. Or if we can't do that, we'll buy more guns or we'll go to war. Right, so GDP includes defense, defense spending, yeah. right? So if you were to remove defense spending, you would remove all the negative connotations of growth. So prisons being built isn't a good thing, and trees falling down and being cut down and logged isn't a good thing, and so on and so on and so on. If you are to do all those things and take them out and actually start to put in nature and, and the cost, the true cost of what it means to, you know, how much is the ocean providing us with every year? Trillions or billions of dollars you know, hundreds of billions of dollars come from the benefit of the oceans. It's probably even in the trillions. Um, you know, the, the amount of money that we're getting from nature. 
But we looked at it and said, if you preserve nature, that's a, that's a positive. If you're destroying nature, then that should decline. Yeah. And so you start to get a realistic cost on what the pulse of society is actually feeling and doing. Um, and that would be true marker of so-called success. Um, so GDP right now is a grossly deceptive position, right? And I was recently in Bhutan. They introduced, you know, gross national happiness. Yeah. Right? So it's actually putting the happiness. New Zealand are doing that, are they? Yeah, they're, they're starting to talk about it. And How do we and measure? The, what's the metric for happiness? Do you just poll people a lot? Surveys? Yeah, I think you also change the marker. So if we, it is, is, if happiness is only tied to profit, mm. then we're in trouble, right? So we and have. it's not. It's not. It's the old, yeah, money doesn't. Yeah. Buy happiness. Um, Can help. Oh, it certainly, yeah. (laughs) Can mask a couple of things. Yeah, but it all—I mean, Um, comfort can. Yeah, of course it can. Yeah, and and so, I think that that's a big one to tackle because I think that if a company wants to do the right thing, the markets don't incentivize it to do the right thing. So you have to question yourself: Why is Apple sitting on two hundred eighty-five billion dollars in cash? because they're not paying their taxes, which means it's not trickling down into society, which means that society's not getting the so-called benefit. But we love Apple because mm. it's a cool brand, right? We love it. Do you use go, an iPhone? Yeah. It uses me. It uses you. Yeah, All you our use... electronics use us. I know, it's a shame. This is an ironic phone case, by the way, I know you're looking at it. I, I bought was... an S-Square for five pounds. No. So I didn't spend lots of money. It's it's um, a designer so brand, which I won't know. So it's a designer brand. Basically, you bought a rip-off. You basically, you're, I, you're, you're helping... That's much worse, isn't it? Yeah, you're actually but I was perpetuating with, I was, the counterfeit market. That's yeah. great. Wicked, brother, mate. <laughs> we, can e- we can edit that bit. We can edit that bit out. But <laughs> what? No. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. I'll get, a, I'll get a sustainable one. I don't know, bamboo, maybe? Bamboo's pretty good. Who knows? Grows fast. So if we can't tackle that, actually, if we can... Ins- if, imagine if you had a a marker for success of a company that was based on its intrinsically positive values to society beyond profit. Mm. The way it treated its workers, the way that it actually invested in society, the way that it actually played its part. Who's good like that? Are there right. any kind of case studies that we can point to who are yeah. genuinely good, not just from a shiny I would say I would, I would say Patagonia is sort of been trailblazing its way um, as, a, as, a, as a company to try and use its capital to invest in mm. changing policies. It's created really strong political campaigns it's helping you know people to stand up and fight for the wilderness yeah. um, so I think they've they've done an incredible job and obviously they're making products as sustainably as possible their employees all seem super happy yeah um, I'm sure there's a few listening who might be like no um, but it's and true. they're now taking on the, all the kind of Silicon Valley bros the VCs <laughs> who all wear that uniform I mean I know they yeah. had they had to go at Midtown and, yeah. and the financial sector but there's that show Silicon Valley. Have you seen it? And they, yeah. the, the the costumes are perfect. You yeah. must know, being yeah. near there, they yeah. all wear that that yeah. Patagonia zip yeah. up thing. I think, but they're uh, saying they can't now because <laughs> I think that what they were saying was that they they want to stop selling corporate um, merchandise. Yeah. So I think what was happening is a lot of product was being brought to be branded by yeah, yeah. corporations, other corporations for their merch um, and gifts. And I think they were trying to stop that. But I think. But it's good. It's a step. It's saying you want to wear our brand. Yeah. You better have our brand value. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Is yeah. that everybody need you know as a consumer, we need to become citizens again. So we need to think beyond that we're only valued for our checkbooks. Mm. As a company, as a corporation, they need to become communities again. They need to look after their workers, the supply chain, and they need to invest in the community. Right? That's what a company was. It was around having yeah. a co-op. It was about having a corporation, a company of. Of, of employees who lived within, you know, you had livers, mm. livers, lifers, um, <laughs> you know, who lived within side of the company, um, you know, and they provided education and healthcare, and it really was a community. But that got, you know, blown apart. And I think as politicians, we need to find we need to find leaders because our politicians are now just mouthpieces for um, short termism. Yeah, and I think we've got to take some uncomfortable long term decisions today that will have a really beneficial um, impact on the future, when it, especially when it comes to our environment. Our environment shouldn't be the subset of our economy. It should yeah. be the other way around. And it shouldn't be a right? political bauble they chuck no, in to grab some millennials. And this is the thing I was thinking about. is like, so we're going to put trillions of dollars into bailing out banks that collapsed. When nature collapses, it's over. If we think about wealth as an arbitrary concept, right? We think about these promissory notes that we hand each other. I'll mm. promise to pay you twenty pounds. I promise to pay you hundred dollars. That's what they are. They're IOUs. It's a, it's, it's a piece of paper that has a perception mm. of value that's controlled, right? Um, 
And so if we were to suddenly say, look, if we can all agree that we don't have to pay ourselves back, but survival on this planet is the most important thing, we need trillions of dollars of investment, which we're not currently getting, into the system to survive. Let's create this, the Global Survival Species Fund. We're going to stick, we're going to write a new currency, call it the green currency, it's a species currency, whatever, it's survival currency. It's going to sit up there, and it's going to be a $10 trillion fund. So for $7 trillion, we can go geothermal. We can put the whole planet. For $20 trillion, we could have everything we want. I mean, we could do wind, we could do free energy, mm. we could do free... So we need to get there quickly. We're not going to invest in it. But what we would do is we would then say to all the power companies, look, you're an oil company. What you understand is logistics and moving stuff around the world, whether it's energy or liquid. I mean, you could be, for example, moving water around the world. You understand how to take something yeah, out of the yeah. ground. So BP could become the number one water company in the world right because water is a scarcity and we know that so we take your skill set of understanding moving fluid around the world and apply it to positive business of the future and you get to tap into that fund so it yeah. trickles down it creates jobs right and we'd have to obviously be careful of hyperinflation because you can't flood the market with a load of capital but if you were to figure out that you would transit you'd have to transition businesses but it would allow businesses to get off the shackles of the system that created them mm. because what happens is You've invested in a business plan that basically says this is going to be paid back in 20 or 30 years' time, right? If you're investing in all this machinery, sometimes it's more aggressive, but you're investing heavily in machinery. So if all of a sudden you've invested in this machinery with a 10 or 15-year trajectory to make you know, a box yeah. one way, and then someone comes along and says, sorry, you've got to make it the other way, you're like, well, I'll do it when Almost, I, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. Can't do it, yeah. It's, it's not gonna, I can't afford to do that, so I've got to pay off this system first. So if we could say, well, now there's a way. If you can do it, here's some capital. Get off this old system. Still do what you do, but do it in the right way. Mm. Because that's the problem is that the market is so relentless. It actually is in the legal structure of a corporation that they need to maximize profits, CEOs, yeah. at all costs. At all costs, above planet and above people. So you can't slow down and say, you know what, we're gonna take all our profits for the next five years and invest in this new widget and this new system. We know we need to. Because the market will yeah, crush it and the company will collapse and then jobs will be lost. So we need to have transparency around that and say actually, do it the right way and here's, here's a pathway for that. Mm. But that's obviously a very idealistic, It's a, theor a theoretical thing. Is it, is, it, uh, is it something you're genuinely proposing, this fund, this species fund? I, I think it would be an interesting concept, you know, I mean, Maybe an easier way to do it is just all look at each other and go, look, we spend $1.7 trillion on war every year, mm. or 1.5. I mean, the US let's spends that. $600 billion. Let's just, let's all just not have a fight. Yeah. Let's just have this poor, well, press it's, pause. We're meant to be more peaceful than we've ever been at any point in history right now. Less uh, wars going on. Um, is that true? Probably. I mean, and we're, we're healthier than sense, ever. We're living yeah. longer than ever. We've got better health care. We've got, you know, the population's obviously grown, but so the percentage of the population is obviously... You know, there's, there's still all these, you know, there's... Reasons to be cheerful. There are reasons to be cheerful. We've got, you know, amazing opportunities. And that's the frustration. I think it ultimately comes down to all of the problems that we face today, we have solutions for. Why aren't we acting? Do you want, would you go into politics yourself? Um, I've probably done too many hallucinogens. What, with the recent round of questioning? Yeah, the recent round of questioning. So have you done any drugs? Have you? Yeah. Yes, I have. I'm sorry. I think people wouldn't care. Why are they... I, I, I watch that thing care. and I'm and like... And also, I know that but everyone 90% just... of those cabinet ministers have done coke. Of course they have. I've done it with them, not doing it. Did it with them Annabelle's last night. <laughs> no, <laughs> but not. I think there's a... I think there is a... <laughs> slander, I, actually. There's lots of that. But yeah. I think there is a um, hypocrisy yeah. to everything. I mean, and I... You Who know, are we having all these facades that they're perfect? We've got perfect. these facades. We want perfect people. I think what you want is honesty and transparency and I think what happens is there seems to be a, a I think a lot of the political system is a closed guard I think it's you rub my back I rub yours yeah, definitely. so I think by the time you end up in power you have to pay a debt yeah. to people just to stay there just to stay there and the debts often aren't necessarily in the service of the people they're yeah. in the service of the people who put you there or we will see a democratization of mm. who our new leaders are. We'll start to see people coming, you know, from different backgrounds, different cultures. We'll see a 10-year-old, you know, um, in their room building a channel. Yeah. And by the time they're 18, they could get elected because they've got 60 million followers, you know. It's crazy. Right? You've got YouTube. I think you still have to be 25, don't you, in this country? I did, but I see yeah, your point. But, I mean, yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. was probably a bit young, but, you know, <laughs> you, you've got... You've got, you've got 
communities now that have been built online that have mm. immense power. Um, and you might find within that that you know, look at Greta, who's yeah, started crazy. Rebellion, you know, Extinction Rebellion, and and, and the That's movement gonna... that she's got. You don't think she's going to be I'm certain elected at some point for so. something? Yeah. So when you look, this is a short-term question. It's just because it's on my mind. And we're in the middle of this Tory leadership campaign. I know you don't live in England. But we will have one of those eight, nine people as our prime minister. And you, a lot of them are getting out this kind of environmental bauble because they know that millennials, they have to get some millennials somehow. Is there one of them you think is genuine about it? Is there any of those p- leaders... You're shaking your head ruefully. Uh, I, I, Who would you most like to be in power, I suppose, is my question. I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> Do the Green Party have, have the right ideas or just the right party. I think the Green Party could do with a little bit of a rebrand. I've been thinking about maybe there's time to create a global nature party. Yeah. You know, I think just need to make it a bit cooler. Con- yeah, the connotation. I mean, it's funny. It's like we, 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 we're really defined by the words that we use. You know? Yeah. And so I think that you know it's like if you use the word climate change everyone's got an opinion and everyone starts just everyone goes over glazing over and they're like oh and they feel guilty and yeah well we feel guilty because what nature does is nature provides us with a reprieve from ourselves yeah. like we've kind of smudged the world with these human fingerprints which sort of made nature in our mold and most of us have a lot of self-loathing and mm. there's not things we always love about ourselves and when you start to see humanity reflected in this perfect system of nature really we're starting to see ourselves yeah. and we start to see that smudge and we start to go oh god and actually in a way when you go out to nature and you spend your time in your parents garden or in the forest or wherever mm. it is the beauty and the intrinsic sort of depth of that actually is a reprieve from you yeah <laughs> in a funny way um side note back to politics i think you know um I think we, we've got to, as you said, we, we've, got to, we've got to start thinking in a system approach. We've got to start thinking much more holistically about how yeah. we and who we elect and what they really stand for. And I think that the Green Party has always kind of it's made a lot of gains recently in the European Union. It's made a lot of gains in Germany. Yeah. There's been a lot of, um, you know, it shows you that people are despondent with this two-party system and that they want change. We want change, um, you know, and we want things done differently. And I think what it comes down to is we want honesty, we want transparency, we want to see things actioned upon and, and, and some small wins. We want to yeah. see wins. We see a lot of like, you know, sound bites, but no real wins. And winning slowly is losing. <laughs> okay. Right? When it comes to the climate conversation, yeah. to quote Alex we- Stefan, winning slowly is losing. We need system change. We need bold leaders. Yeah. We need people to actually look at this and go, I'm going to do something that might seem uncomfortable today, but in 10 years' time, you're going to, you're going to really thank me for it. And this is why. And make a clear case and be honest about it and not try and hide it as some sort of tax. Or you know, We, we can find all the funding we need to do everything if we stop giving the fossil fuel industry the $5.2 trillion a yeah. year that it gets, literally, from subsidies. Right? So there's our answer. There's, when everyone there's says, one, there's, a, sing, single there's one. a single answer right there. Golden bullet almost. It's there. We just have given this Too fossil fine. fuel industry, the people who pollute us, so much money to continue to pollute us. If that just stopped today, we could implement so many of the things that we know we need to do to actually allow us to live on this planet. Job done. Easy. Before you go, I, we have questions we ask everyone. So you have to answer these in, in one phrase or one sentence oh, or one God. word if you can. I'm not sure if I can. Have you not we'll been see. listening to what just happened? <laughs> well, I don't know, but maybe... You... Listen to that ramble. <laughs> no, I don't think it's rambling at all. Rant. Um, it's the green tea. We'll blame it on that. Green what, tea party. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't an explorer or an ecologist or an adventurer? Um, I'd be a vet. Great. What's your worst habit? Um, hmm, what is my worst habit? I'll come back to that. Okay. We'll see at the end. Keep thinking. What's the most impressive thing you can cook? Uh, A risotto. Any special kind of risotto? I do a really nice wild mushroom risotto. Okay, what kind Um, of wild mushrooms? um, Shiitake. (laughs) Just the normal ones. Chanterelles. Okay. Because you were speaking about hallucinogens before, so... Yeah, I could do... (laughs) I haven't tried a magic mushroom risotto, but that's going to be on my list. That could (laughs) be one of my worst I'm not coming around, I think. Yeah, that could be. Um, Surprise. (laughs) What are you most proud of in your career so far? Um, I think just being able to um, 
complete things that I've said I was going to try and do and, and, and hopefully do it in a way that I was more than, see, see what happens now? He told me one sentence. Just to be able to, com- <laughs> to I'm proud of being able to complete, um, take ideas and turn them into realities. That, That's think, good. Yeah. That's nice. What's your biggest failure, do you think, so far? Or regret? My biggest regret um, hasn't come yet. Do you think there's going to be a big one on the horizon? I hope not. I hope not. Okay. But there might be. There's, there's not been anything you really failed. <laughs> no. Have you ever been halfway over a mountain? And you're... Yeah, I've turned back a lot. I've done things. There's definitely, listen, I, I think with everyone, if anyone says you haven't got any regrets, um, I think regrets are, um, I, I think sometimes I move a little bit too fast. And, and, you know, when you live in ideas, you need to, and they're in your head and you've got them and you do them, you need to nurture them sometimes a bit more. And mm. then I think at some moments I probably haven't um, nurtured some of the ideas that could have gone where they, they could have gone further and I regret not taking time to kind of slow down and, yeah. and nurture them. That's natural, I think. If, if you could learn one skill, one new skill, mm. what would it be? Um, I would like to know how to firewalk. Okay, I think you can just do that. You no, know, I skill. just get, just go for run it. Run for it. Run for it. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a skill to it. I reckon you'd be quite good at it. Yeah, are you first. You've probably got quite tough feet. Yeah, but I still reckon there's a skill to there it. There is, there is. Mind of a matter. I always love that old, like, traditional sort of stuff. Like, I love, like, the guy who lies on the nail bed. Yeah. Or breaking blocks. I love to do that. And it's all in your head. It's apparently. all in your head, apparently, yeah. What phrase or convention would you banish from the earth if you could? Um convention or phrase good I get rid of the word good okay good is the enemy of great I think someone says yeah it's just like oh. media like how are you good well it doesn't it's tell okay. me it's anything good, it's good something to aspire to isn't it? it's good to be good I don't know I don't know I, I kind of what, what do you answer when someone says how are you fuck off okay I'm really angry <laughs> go away I'm an environmentalist everything's doomed <laughs> it's all over I'm like I'm great I'm great, I'm great but I'm great. I'm, We're I'm great. All about I think size, great or great. okay, but good's just like, yeah, good. I'm good. It is a D- bit of a filler. Yeah. That's Don't be I good. Am. Be great. Be great. Or be okay or be sad. Or be, be terrible. Yeah, just How like, are you? I'm terrible I'm not. Today. I'm not Watch great, me. actually. I'm feeling really shitty. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now we can have a conversation. Yeah. Or we good. Can, or it's just kind of like, British. good is basically fuck off. Yeah, good is Sorry, I swore twice now. No, that's quite all right. If you could be one age forever, what would it be? These are these new ones I've chucked in there. Today. To this my age, How right now, 40. 40? Yeah. So you would have said that at 39 too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think the age that you are, but I think where I am today, I feel like I know a little bit more about myself and what I want to do and how to how to kind of try and yeah. focus some of my thoughts and energies and, and you learn about yourself, but also still got mobility and yeah. movement and young enough to still... I went to spin class the other day. And I'm so competitive. <laughs> and I haven't been to spin class for months because I've been on the road. I was like, I'm going to go to spin class. And they've got this little number that shows you where you are and your thing. And I was pedaling. And I, got, oh, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. But I did win the class. A did you? There's a bunch of guys who had their cleats on and their whole skinny yeah. racing All the gear, gear. No, idea. no, they were pretty good. And I okay. was so stubborn. And I thought, I'm still young. You know, I've still yeah. got that little bit. But um, So having mobility and having... That was a random side note. But having mobility... <laughs> Being, being so you'd young be enough 40. to move. I'd 40. I think it's a really nice age. Yeah. And you look good for it. Middle age. That's the Californian lifestyle, though. Middle aged. Middle aged. I'm right in the middle. You don't look middle aged, I don't think. I'm a middle aged. What have you done recently for the first time? Um, won a spin class. There you go. Good. What, apart from more time, would make the biggest difference to the quality of your life? Because everyone says more time, apparently. Oh, really? That's uh, the first time I've asked that one as well, so we don't know. Well, no. Um, what would make the quality of your life? I think um, patience. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and being present. What's your most treasured physical possession? Um, you can't say people or dogs. Oh. Well, I mean, or any animal, really. Really? Because they, they're not possessions, are they? They shouldn't be. It's true, my dog owns me. Yeah. Think about it, I have to pick up its shit. Yeah, who he's, owns the, he's, he's the lord of the manor. Yeah, of course he is. I'm like, I'm like yep, this one got a bit, <laughs> something I control in my life, and then it's like, yeah. Pick up my but shit. is there one thing you take on every expedition? There must be something. Handkerchief. Okay. Yeah, I've got. I love. I've been collecting handkerchiefs for a long time. They're probably one of the best explorer. Yeah. And and everyday equipment. You can blow your nose. You can strain tea. You can 
pull your head down, you can dress a wound, you can tie up something, you can... Or just chuck um, it in your top pocket. Yeah, or you can, give, you can be chivalrous, you can be yes. a gentleman. And, there we go. And give someone your handkerchief. True gentlemen carry handkerchiefs. <laughs> this is good, you should be a handkerchief lobbyist. Yeah. What book have, has influenced party. you the... <laughs> it's less catchy. What book has influenced you more than any other? Um, I think any of the books from Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, he's your hero, isn't he? Yeah. Unusual, a chemist. He was an architect. Oh, was he? Was he? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm thinking that because there's a he does. Uh, there's a compound named after yeah, Fullerine. But Mr. Fullerine, yeah. yeah. Exactly. There you go. That's juicy anything from Bucky. There you go. Okay, good. Well, I'll go and read some of his stuff. Yeah. And finally, do you have a personal motto, David? Live curiously. Live curiously. Yeah. I like that. Thank you very much Thank for coming you. on the podcast. Appreciate it. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you may well like the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest quarterly dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, as you may have heard earlier, podcast listeners now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at www.thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. And if you really like this episode... Why not rate us five stars on the iTunes store or, of course, wherever you happen to get your podcasts? I think that'll be a lovely idea. Anyway, I'll leave you alone now. Bye-bye.